Today is Friday, April 21st. The title for our devotional is The Great Commission. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew notes Jesus' parting words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Let's read Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the church's mission statement, called the Great Commission. We often focus a lot of our attention on the first portion of verse 19, Go, and make disciples of all nations. We even rightly emphasize the significance of baptism as the inaugural act of obedience into the people of God. We also focus a lot of attention, again, rightly so, on the singular name, followed by the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can even focus on the sublime truth that Jesus is with us to the end of the age. With so much going on in this passage, we can easily miss the lordship and ultimate authority of Jesus over all creation, in verse 18, and his call for the church to make disciples, in verse 19. Disciples being those who observe all that he has commanded us, in verse 20. Dallas Willard called this the Great Omission, playing on the title usually given to this passage, again, the Great Commission. In our culture, we get so fascinated by explosive church growth that we focus so much of our energy and effort on evangelism and leading people to make a declaration of faith in Jesus. This is, of course, important and necessary for the life of the church, but it is not all that we are called to do. A disciple is a follower, a pupil, one who learns from their instructor. Jesus is our instructor, and we are to learn from him. He is our authority, and we are to submit to his teachings. In Dallas Willard's book, The Great Omission, Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teachings on Discipleship, he says the greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians, will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom and of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Again, that's no small statement. He says the greatest issue facing the world today is essentially whether or not Christians will start living as disciples of Jesus in every corner of their life. So what does this look like in practicality? How do we apply the teaching of Jesus to our life today? In John's gospel, we read these words of Jesus in John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Again, Jesus is our example of love. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does this look like in the lived experience of the church? For that, we turn to the New Testament epistles, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, Paul's writing to a church who is just embattled with controversy, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you uh, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, again, going back to what Jesus taught, uh, this is how you are to love one another, how I have loved you. That's the command that Jesus gives us. How are we to then obey that command in the life of the church? Paul's giving us the answer here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by, being, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If Jesus then is our Lord, we should approach situations at church today with his mindset, as Paul's saying in Philippians 2. We should ask questions like, how can I put others' needs above my own? How can I humble myself more like Jesus? How can I lay down my rights and privileges as Jesus did for the benefit of others? If we love Jesus and he is indeed Lord of our lives, these are the questions that we will be asking when circumstances come up in the life of the church. Whether it's a global pandemic, someone getting cancer, someone losing their job, me being offended by someone, what somebody said, or I'm just going to work on Tuesday. We will bring our discipleship to Jesus into every area of our lives, if he is indeed our Lord. John Stott, in his little book called The Radical Disciple, Some Neglected Aspects of Our Calling, describes the church around the turn of the 21st century as growth without depth. He had traveled the world and talked to many ministers of the gospel in various countries and found many of them to be saying the same thing. People were coming to believe in Jesus at astonishing rates, but they were not taking noticeable steps in maturity and discipleship to Christ. The situation hasn't changed much in the last 20 years, except for perhaps the growth in our country slowing down at least in evangelism, that is, or acceptance of Christ. Even so, the Western church is still struggling to teach disciples of Jesus to observe all that he has commanded. On a positive note, however, I see signs that the tide is turning. There is a revived interest in the church for the disciplines and contemplative life, those practices from the beginning of the church that have helped form Christians more into the image of Christ. The bigger is better mantra is becoming less appealing and attractive. Effectiveness in ministry without the fruit of character is being revealed as destructive in the long run. All this is happening, I don't think by coincidence, with the cultural shift away from Christianity. There's little to no cultural advantage to claiming a Christian faith, so the number of people claiming Christianity without an authentic allegiance to Jesus as Lord is dwindling. All of this points me to the hope that the church, Jesus' disciples, are beginning to see the value in deeper spiritual formation and obedience to Jesus. For additional content, I have one more quote from John Stott from that little book, The Radical Disciple. He says, Our common way of avoiding radical discipleship is to be selective, choosing those areas in which commitment suits us and staying away from those areas in which it will be costly. But because Jesus is Lord, we have no right to pick and choose the areas in which we will submit to his authority. I read that quote and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what we're going for in this whole campaign, a la carte Christianity. The barrier to radical discipleship is our selective approach to the commands of Jesus. Picking areas which suits us and staying away from those which may seem costly.